You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Wait, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I'll say this to add. Um, I think, I'm, I'm not great with numbers, but um, I think easily we've given close to about $200,000 just away from the result of the joy offering over the course of our existence. Every year, I, would, I mean, we're, it's, we're, we're probably giving away at the end of the year, which is when a lot of churches go like, we need all of that to like kind of make up for what we didn't get for the rest of the year. Like we give that away. I'd say we probably on a regular basis give about a quarter of our like total operating costs, like annual operating costs. Like at the end of the year, we're giving at least a quarter of that to these organizations. And we do that because we believe that we should practice generosity because it's rooted in the character of God. Uh, We love to celebrate how good he is to us. And then we believe that we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing and that we can take uh, the story of Christmas and, and once again make it good news, make it about um, what Jesus would make it about, not all the craziness that, that we make it about at times. So join us in that. It's a time to worship and celebrate. We're excited for it. But we've got First uh, Peter to wrap up today. I'm excited. Um, we're going to do something a little unique, but before we do that, I'm going to do a, a brief kind of wrap-up of um, of the last few verses, okay? So not much of a sermon today, but I wanted to walk through a few things with you. I don't know about you guys, as you anticipated, like hearing that we're going to do First Peter. I know for myself, I saw First Peter in like a particular light, like this is what it's going to be about. This is what it's going to be about for our community. And then God showed up and went, nah, it's going to be about this, right? Which I love. It was like not where it ended was where I thought it was going to end. God kind of revealed like some deeper things that are important to us, to the church, um, throughout the centuries. So I'm excited to kind of put an end to this. Um, I hope it's been like informative and encouraging and and all the things that Peter's, and more importantly, God's intention for his people through this letter would be. So um, as we wrap up these last few verses, we're going to jump back into verse 5 real quick and then kind of walk through um, 2.11. He closes it. Uh, not to say that those last few verses aren't important, but it's kind of just like functional in that it's his greeting almost. And so in the ancient Near East that was flipped, we would have addressed who we're sending it to, and that greeting would normally come at the beginning, but he has it there at the end. So we're going to look at like kind of 5 through 11. So the first thing that Peter does this, he, he, he pulls us back, and he's, he's mentioned this several times, but he wraps up here with verse kind of the last part of, of, of verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares. So he's got a few last exhortations. Like, I kind of love that, like, Peter's wrapping this up, but before he does, he's like, oh, like, I got one more thing to say to you once again. And it's this idea of humility. So, and he ties it then to, to this discussion around like clothing ourselves, right? So if you track clothing all throughout scripture, like starting back in the garden where God creates clothing for Adam and Eve, right? To cover their nakedness and their shame and their guilt because they had just sinned all the way through to the New Testament writers, even to to Jesus himself, like clothing throughout scripture, not, not every reference to clothing, 
But starting in the garden all the way through, David even like dancing in his skivvies through the streets of Jerusalem, right? Like we are meant to see something important. Now again, like not every reference, but a lot of them we're supposed to see what's happening in the story. So sometimes it's a metaphor, sometimes it's an analogy, but, but either way, these, these moments where clothing comes up, we're supposed to see them as like tied to the activity of God, right? And all the way to the end of the story where we see Jesus like stripped naked. There's, there's no clothing and then taking on the robes of shame, right? And, and guilt and then having those removed again um, into this nakedness as he's put on the cross. And then finally, um, we see Jesus in his ascension and in his return, clothed in these white robes of, of victory. And so clothing is always, not always, but, but most commonly associated with the activity of God. So here's what we need to see, humility, right? Like we can draw all kinds of lines of like, what is Peter saying as we put on our clothes and, you know, um, but, but Peter wants us more importantly to see that humility is a piece of the activity of God, right? And, and he's elevating it to that status. And he's saying like, like clothe yourselves in this attitude, this, this attitude of humility. So that's the first exhortation. Then he says this, be sober-minded. He goes on to say, be sober-minded, be vigilant, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. I love where that comes at the end, right? So he's, there's, a, there's a call to be vigilant, to, be, to pay attention. That sober-minded reference, yes, it could be attached to like the use of a substance or like alcohol, but, but really what Peter's trying to get to is, is to say, like, have nothing in your life that would distract you or cause you to not think properly and, and guard yourself, right? So if you're distracted, um, you're not able to make decisions that are going to allow you to, to kind of guard yourself and guard your community, because there is a very real adversary. All of Peter's discussions so far have been about culture and how you, like, maybe as a follower of Christ, like, you won't fit into that, but he wants us to understand at the end of the letter that, that our war, like, what is warring against us is not culture, it's not people around us. It's not our community at large. We have a very real adversary who is creeping around waiting to steal and kill and destroy. So be sober-minded. Don't have anything that would distract you from decisions that cause you to be vigilant about the enemy and the war that's being waged against the church. And then this last little piece, he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you've suffered a little while, while the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So I think we've made, a, done our due diligence to have this conversation around like the church in America and why this isn't like a one-to-one -one kind of discussion is not the persecuted church. Is the church being persecuted in certain parts of the world? Absolutely. Is the church suffering? So, so, so we need to be cautious to not claim persecution here in the church in America, but, but I think what Peter's getting at here is we're called to suffer together. Like we are to have the posture and the attitude despite not facing persecution to be the suffering church because where the church suffers across the globe, 
like that impacts us. That's our brothers and sisters. That's our family. That's the community of saints that God is calling together that will be worshiping him for all time in the new Jerusalem. And so, so we should feel that. We should stand together with the church. Um, I think for us in America, the unfortunate reality is we've We've traded the posture of humiliation and sober-mindedness and suffering, and we've acquiesced that role and what we're called to do as we, as we suffer with the church and as we suffer with the culture and the world. We've traded that. We've acquiesced that role for power, for access, for wealth. And so we need to, we need to put it in its proper place. We need to say where the church suffers we suffer also. We need to stand with our brothers and sisters. More importantly, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters because, because as, as Peter says here, it, it is being experienced. The brotherhood, the family of God does suffer through the world. So yes, our posture is still one of humility, somber-mindedness, and suffering. We are the church of the suffering. That should always be our posture and our heart in this. And then he ends with this beautiful doxology. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, we talked about this, like good theology will always be followed up with good doxology, a praise of, of worship to him who is holding this all together. So all of this came in the form, not of a book and not of a sermon, but of an epistle or a letter. So this is Peter writing to the church. He's writing this letter. He's putting pen to paper, and he's writing this letter, and, and his desire is that it's going to go. It's going to be circulated to all of these churches that are suffering and struggling throughout Asia Minor, and it would be like to be read. It would, it would show up, right? And I envision a group of Jesus followers. Maybe, maybe like I just made this decision yesterday, and now I've found this group of Jesus followers, and we're huddled together in a house over candlelight, and this letter shows up from the apostle Peter. It's significant, and then we'd read it together. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite five of our friends up here, and we're going to read through Peter's letter today as we wrap up our time together. So I'm going to invite you up here to come read, and so for you that are not up on stage, um, I want you to we're going we're gonna to listen, and we're going to engage our hearts, and I want you to envision, um, while certainly like we're very far removed from that first context that this was written into, nonetheless, um, Peter, and more importantly, God, would have something for us today in this reading. And certainly this letter, we thought about putting this at the beginning of um, the series, but um, feel really confident that after expositing it and uh, hopefully a better understanding in our hearts that um, it'll just make that much more sense. So that's what we have for us. I'm going to turn it over to our readers. And yeah, if you need a moment to, to, to pray and just kind of prepare your heart, but we're going to read through the letter of First Peter together. First Peter chapter one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but be as who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, and who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to those who judge, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this you were called, 
that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is, the, this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the God and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him, be glorif let him glorify God in that name. 
For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So listen, um, like I don't know, nor do any of us, how like this was received to the early church. My, my hope, my, my guess, is that it was encouraging. For them, Peter's context was immediate. They got it. It was, it was the context that, that they were living in and out. Um, so we had to do much more hard work um, before we could do this to, to grasp and understand, like, what are the differences into what Peter is writing. So, so culturally, like the, they are a people who are experiencing something different culturally than we do, but also like there's these unifying themes. There's these like uplifting things that come out of that. So um, wh what I hope you heard is God through Peter declaring first and foremost, like who we are as a people, what's been entrusted to us. He says, as, as, as Peter walks through this, he, he pronounces over us um, some, some very unique things as to our identity. We are now an elect people. It's important to, to understand, too, like it's, it's in there that Peter, Peter would say, like, you were once this, right? So he's addressing, like, your former identity was this, but now you're something new. And what is that new is an elect people chosen, chosen by God were born again to this living hope, we're exiles in a land that now is foreign to us as we are to it. We're refugees, and we have this new identity in Christ. We have a new citizenship that is in heaven. We're loved. We're chosen. We're precious. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We're sustained 
amid and through the suffering by the grace of God. We are refined, actually, through that suffering. We, we get now to be the people that get to mediate God's blessing to the world. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We are now living stones of this new spiritual house that God is building, and there's this future grace that we're exhorted to anticipate. Um, so that's who we are, and then, and then somehow God like, takes all of that, all of us, and, and puts us together in, in this, right? So all throughout this city, all throughout our country, all throughout the world, there's these little collected gatherings of gospel communities um, that, that fortunately, not, not me, not Matt, not any of us are, are holding together. Fortunately for us, Christ is holding his church together. He's the good shepherd of his church. He loves and leads and protects his flock. And so, yeah, can you look to points like I think we're experiencing it right now where like we could look at the church and if we look at it like a household, I guess like in the metaphor, maybe we're like the sticks and the frame, right? And, and there will be seasons where the church will waver waver amid the difficulty of suffering, amidst like trying to figure out our place in the context that we exist. And so the, 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 the building will waver. It'll get hit with storms. But the foundation will always be firm because what Peter wants us to see is that foundation is built upon the cornerstone that the builders rejected was Christ himself. And so we have a firm foundation as the church because it's built upon the work of Christ. And then Peter's very concerned about how we live and move and act. He wants us to understand that we are a good news people that are inviting people into a better story through the gospel. But we do that with gentleness and respect. And Peter's very much concerned about how we conduct ourselves in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a world that Jesus promised would be opposed to the good news of the gospel. So he wants us to be sober-minded. He wants us to be people that would be gentle and respectful, loving and compassionate and kind to those around us. And then what does Jesus do? He shepherds these little gospel communities, and he leads us to good food, and he leads us to pure and holy drink. And then he gives us each other in the context of these gospel communities to enter into our suffering together, to, to live out the one another's with each other, to love one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another. And then he gives us and he calls under-shepherds, right? So, so, so people that would, the, that would step up into this role that they've been called to, not out of compulsion, not out of a desire to see their name elevated or to gain financially through it, not domineering, but to, but to love and lead and protect Jesus' flock, his gospel community. And, and they do that by, by doing this. So, so the elders are to do this, are, are to be a people that would listen, first and foremost, to the voice of God through the work of the Holy Spirit and His Word, that, they would be, that God's, God would entrust His church to the leadership of these elders. Also, as they listen to the flock, pay attention to where there are hurts and pains and 
desires and conflicts, and, and so we listen to God and the Holy Spirit, and we listen to the flock, and then we have a close ear to culture, and we listen to the world around us so we can pay attention to where there's bad news in the culture around us so we can shepherd us into the mission that God has for us to be a good news people where there is bad news and so we can see where there's suffering in the world and then we, we lead our people into that suffering to be good news to the world. It's kind of what First Peter's about. I hope it was encouraging to you. I hope it was uplifting. I hope it was informative, but most importantly, I hope it compels us to be the type of people that God wants us to be through Peter's writing. Um, I look at our community, and it is who we are. We are a church of the suffering. Like, I know that. I see it. I get to enter into that with so many of you, and suffering doesn't look like one thing here at Hub City. It looks like all sorts of things. It's a diverse reality, and, and Peter calls us to be there in that for each other. But most importantly, all right, that's the common thread that he writes through all of that, which makes sense, right? Like if he's trying to draw these lines of calling our attention to God's activity, well then we can look to the activity of, of suffering and not necessarily see it as God's design, but see it as God's activity that he calls us into. Why? Because it's the most common thing that everyone experiences. Like, just you start big. You start with the world, right? Everybody that we know will experience suffering. And then for the church, like, it, it, it's not held back from us when we come to follow Christ. Like, we still will experience suffering as a people. So Peter writes that as such a big theme because it's a, it's a unifying theme. It unifies the world. It's what the world experiences. It's what the church will experience. It. But most importantly, Peter wants us draw, to draw our attention to the God who would send his son to experience suffering. And so we have a God who, in fact, would be the shepherd of his church who knew suffering in every way that every human has ever known suffering. And then he would go in the ultimate expression of selfless suffering to a cross for his people to give us victory over death and Satan and sin and give us a living hope because he is now a living God who walked out of a tomb whose promises look to me hope in my return, because when I come back, I come back in the clothing, in the, in, the, in the precious white clothing of a victorious king, and I'll usher in my fully realized kingdom where there will be no more suffering. That's the message of First Peter. I hope it was hope-filled for you. I hope it was encouraging probably difficult and challenging, but church, I think we're better off for having walked through this. I hope we're closer to each other and our victories and our suffering together. Let me pray, and we're going to spend some time responding. So we do that a, a few different ways at Hub City. We're going to sing. That's like a common thing that you're probably used to. And um, we would ask that you would take some quiet moments and just prepare your heart and, and pray and communicate with God. Of course, um, we view giving as something that is worship-filled, and so it's an expression of, of worship, and so we want you to give worshipfully today. 
um, filled with joy, giving back to God what he freely gives. You can do that in a few ways. You can give online. Uh, you can physically give. We've got a box there that you can put some cash or check in on the way out. Um, but that's for you. If Hub City is your home, we would ask that you would give. And then finally, we get to, we get to be called and invited to the table. And the table is where we remember Christ in his suffering, but Christ also in his victory. We see Christ in his suffering at the table because we see those elements that represent his body that would be broken, his blood that would be spilled. But then we also are reminded of Christ's victory as he walked out of the tomb. And so go to the table today and feast, accept the invitation to come under the righteous reign and rule of our glorious and returning king who will return for his church, restore creation to his good intention. So let's respond. Let me pray. And as a church, let's come together and worship our King.